today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear the truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. truly live your life in the hope and the understanding that the Lord is coming soon. One of these days, I'll be with Him face to face. I'll see Him as He is. No longer will I be depending upon what's already taken place in the history. No, it'll be then face to face. If you have that hope within you, the Word of God says that we ought to be purifying ourselves. That means making the right choices. That means determining in our lives that I'm going to follow Jesus. In today's message, Pastor David asks this question. Do we as Christians live our day-to-day lives in the ever-present reality that we will one day meet our Savior face-to-face? The Bible teaches us that the Lord Jesus is coming soon. As such, we must live to honor Christ each moment and make wise, God-fearing choices. There are those that deny Jesus' second coming. These lost people will not encounter a God of compassion and grace but instead will face his well-deserved wrath. Now let's join Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, What Did You Come to See? Is your heart really and truly changed? Or are you coming down because your wife said you had to come down? Or are you up here because you think you're going to look holy? You come up here because your life has changed and you want a demonstration of that. But you know, if pastors were really and truthfully that front forward with the people, one of two things are going to happen. Either they're going to walk out the door and, and never come back again, That helps with the parking situation. (laughs) Or they'll fall on their face before Almighty God and realize, no, I I, I truly, I, I need to repent. I know my life is a mess. I know I haven't been walking the way I need to walk. I need to repent. I need to show my life before Almighty God that I desire to be found faithful in Him. But instead of saying those hard things when people make a decision or make a declaration. What do we do in the church today? No, we, we, we receive them into our church roles. We place them in positions as teachers and as leaders within our church. Even if there never was really a time of true repentance in their life, even if there never was a time of confession of sin, even if they've never had the baptism or the fullness of the Holy Spirit in their lives, we take them in. Why? Because it's a warm body that's going to be able to plug a hole in the ministry. And we don't dare reject a warm body, do we? Do you realize, church, that we, that the church, should never, ever have to beg and plead for people to serve the Lord. If they were truly 
dedicated to the Lord, if they truly desired for the Lord to lead them and use them, if there was true Holy Spirit life within them, we wouldn't have to beg and plead. If our churches were filled with people who lived a life of repentance, of confession, and of seeking after that refreshing of the Holy Spirit and a growing relationship with Christ, you'd have to stand in line in order to find a place to serve. Pastor, I think the Lord wants me to teach Sunday school. Oh, you're going to have to stand in line. It's filled right now. Let's take your number. We'll call you when we have an available spot. Lord, I want to pour out the love of Jesus on these little babies in our nursery. I want to just show the love of Christ to these. Sorry, you're going to have to stand in line. We've got 20 people waiting to serve in the nursery right now. Lord, I want to serve. I want to help. I want, I want to do something. Sorry, we're all filled right now, but we'll take your number. We'll, we'll give you a call when an opening comes. You know what? The sad thing is, is that's not the case, is it? It really isn't the case. Not in our church and not in the church. Universal. But that's the kind of message John declared. And I believe that it's the kind and it's the time of message that we need to be declaring right now. And it needs to be heeded by the church of Jesus Christ today. You say that you're a believer. You say that you want to honor Christ in your life. You say, I surrender all to Jesus. I surrender all. Oh, except for my time, my talents, and my treasures. But other than that, I surrender everything to you. You see, in these, and I believe in these last days, I believe that it's time for the people of God to rise up. I believe it's time for the people of God to commit their lives to serving their great king, to be actively involved in serving the Lord by serving one another, to become usable vessels within the household of the Lord. Why? Because we are His. All that we are are His. I am surrendered to you. When I came to faith in Christ, I said, I die to self in order that Christ might live in and through me. But the unfortunate reality is many people come into church and say, I just want to be a church member. I just want to come and enjoy the music, the worship, the fellowship, good teaching now and then. I enjoy those kinds of things. But don't expect, don't anticipate me to be involved in anything else. I don't believe that for a second that John the Baptist or Jesus or the Apostle Paul or Peter or John or James or any of the early church fathers ever called the people to come and see the show, give your money, then go home entertained, amused, and blessed. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus says you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Peter, or Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet it's not me that's living, it's Christ that's living in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Peter said we should no longer live the rest of our time in the flesh for the lusts of men. We need to live our lives for the will of God. 
John, John the Apostle says, He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, you're a liar. Whoa. Yeah, he said it. He said, you say you know him, yet you don't keep his commandments, then you're a liar, and the truth isn't in you. James says, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. The early 19th century, in the early 1800s, there was a Scottish Presbyterian theologian. He was a good Presbyterian. He was, he was right on. Maybe because he was Scottish, I don't know. A fellow by the name of William Symington. He wrote this. He says, our object should not be to have Scripture on our side, but to be on the side of Scripture. And however dear any sentiment may have become within our lives by being long entertained, so soon as it seemed to be contrary to the Bible, we must be prepared to abandon it without hesitation. Are there things in your life that you think, well, yeah, that's okay, I can do that. But then all of a sudden you see that the Word of God speaks against those things, and yet you still hold on to them? Are there life choices that you continue to make, yet you know that the Word of God speaks otherwise in your life, and yet you hold on to them? No, if we truly know Him, if we're truly His disciples, we need to abandon it without hesitation. Jesus understood that John's ministry was a difficult but yet a very necessary one. It was a ministry that many times went against the flow of public opinion, uh, popular concepts, even religious rituals of the day. John was speaking the very heart of God to the people, and he spoke to prepare the way of the ministry of Jesus. John's calling was to be the immediate forerunner of the Messiah. He, above all other prophets, had the opportunity to, to be able to see and to touch in a physical presence and to be able to declare, look, look, there he goes. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John was able to do that. No other prophet prior to him was able to have that kind of an experience. He had the great honor to be the one who would both proclaim as well as fulfill prophecy. He was Isaiah's voice of the, in the wilderness. He was the voice crying out, calling people to prepare themselves for the coming of Messiah. He was the one who was described by the Lord through the prophet Malachi. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That was John. He was a personification. He was a type of Elijah. He was calling the people to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was John who was the prophetic voice declaring, Repent and let God come and strike the earth with a curse. What a great opportunity John the Baptist had. And so Jesus declared, there's no greater prophet than John the Baptist that's ever lived. But he also says, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Uh, what do you mean? How can that be? How can you, how can you relate both of those things? Man, he's the greatest prophet that ever lived. And yet anybody within the kingdom of God is, is greater than he is. The best understanding that we can have of that is, John was born, he lived, he ministered, and he died on the other side of the cross. You and I now live this side 
of the cross. John was looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promise. And although he saw and he testified of Jesus as the Messiah, uh, the price for John's redemption hadn't been paid yet. Christ hadn't died yet. And John went to his grave prior to the fulfillment of the sacrifice of Christ. Well, that doesn't mean he's not saved. No, don't, don't get me wrong. He is saved. He is in w- with the Lord. But he looked forward to it happening. You and I, we can look back and we known it to happen. It's already taken place. We can already bask in it. We look and we see the completed fulfillment that the promised one came. He, he lived that perfect life. He gave himself as a sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. We can now see that work of God's plan of redemption far clearer than any Old Testament prophet ever could. They saw it in dreams and in visions. You and I, we've seen it in history that it's truly taken place. We see the completed stage. We see the sacrifice has been made. We see that the Father has accepted it by raising him from the dead. But even this is not really the completed stage, is it? Yet there's something yet even before that we're looking forward to. Again, the Apostle John writes to us in 1 John. He says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. But it hasn't quite been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed... We'll be like him, for we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope within him purifies himself because he is pure. Do you have that hope within you? Do you truly live your life in the hope and the understanding that the Lord is coming soon? And one of these days, I'll be with Him face to face. I'll see Him as He is. No longer will I be depending upon what's already taken place in the history. No, it'll be then face to face. If you have that hope within you, the Word of God says that we ought to be purifying ourselves. That means making the right choices. That means determining in our lives that I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to open my life to every aspect of my life to Him in order that He might cleanse me, He might purge me, that He might change me. I have this hope within me, so I want to live my life pure before Him. But even with all that I've seen, all, all that's read, all that's understood, there's still going to be those that, that, that miss it. They still don't get it. What seems to be so evident to us through the Word of God still confounds those who remain blind to the move of God's hand. They hear the gospel message over and over again through a variety of sources, through a variety of venues. They hear the testimony of a multitude of saints whose lives have been changed by the power of God. They have a praying or believing grandfather or grandmother. Perhaps their parents have shared. Perhaps a a sibling has shared with them. Perhaps a co-worker has shared with them. They've heard it over and over again. And we live in a culture that radio is everywhere. And the gospel 
gospel message is so easy to hear, so easy to find, whether it be radio or television or the 60 or 70 churches that are in this small community. Now, I know that not all of them are preaching the truth. I understand that. But the gospel message is out there, and it's easy to be able to find and to be able to hear. But the problem is, is so many have heard it so often and so long, it doesn't impact their lives. I believe that we were sharing with uh, Steve and Libby the other night. We were over at their place. We were talking about the noise of trains. They said that they lived in a place where the trains were like right next to them, and, and they just got used to it. And people would come and visit and say, whoa, what is that noise? And, well, what noise is that? Well, you just had a train drive right through your living room. And, uh, and I'm afraid that that's the case for many today. They've heard the gospel message over and over and over and over again and to where it just, it just doesn't impact them at all. They've heard it and they can see the events happening in the world all around them and yet they still don't believe. And you know what? We stress over these things and we ask the question, Pastor, is there a particular verse, is there a particular passage that I could share with my neighbor or my husband or my parents, my children, my sister, my co-worker? Is, is there a particular verse that I can give them to help them to understand the truth of who Jesus is? Well, all I can tell you is, is that Jesus Christ is the Word of God. And even as He walked the earth, some received and some didn't. No, there's not, there's not a magic bullet verse. If a heart is closed to the things of God, they will not hear. Jesus understood that. In verse 29, He says, When all the people heard Him speaking, heard uh, the, the tax collectors justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, they rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. I'm going to take you on a really quick side issue here. This is a little sidebar. There's no extra charge on this at all. We won't take a special offering for this bit. That one little phrase in there, that one little phrase that says, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves. It's an interesting phrase. Because there's some that say that God does not necessarily call all men everywhere to repent. Even though Acts chapter 17 says that very thing. There are some that say that it's not really true that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. These are the ones who would push a certain doctrine, a theology and interpretation of, of God's Word that declares that God has foreordained that some would come to faith and some would not. That some are ordained for heaven, some are foreordained to hell. And yet we read in this very verse that the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves. What was the will of God for these Pharisees and for these lawyers? It's exactly what Peter tells us, that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
And that's why Jesus saw the hard-heartedness of these Pharisees and the scribes, and He continued to speak to them in reference to the hardness of their hearts. In verse 31 here, He says, The Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We mourned for you, and you did not weep. John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you said, oh, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look, he's eating nothing but a glutton and a wine-bibber. Why, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Wisdom is justified by all her children. At the end of Jesus' ministry, some received, but most didn't. The multitudes actually turned away in rejection. The problem is, is we see the very same thing even today. Eyes are blinded by their own selfish desires, by self-satisfaction. By and large, man isn't willing to humble himself before the Lord. He's not willing to live a life of self-sacrifice where self is placed on the altar rather than being on the throne of the life. Oh, we want to see the goodness and the forgiveness of God. Oh, I, I, I want personal peace and healing that, that comes from Jesus. I want to see the power and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. We want to see redemption. But we want it all on our terms. We want to be the ones who are in control. What did you come to see? Why are you here today? Do you want to see a God who kowtow to the desires of man rather than to command of us obedience and faithfulness? Did you come to see a God who would meet all of your felt needs, give you health and wealth and peace without your absolute surrender to His perfect will in your life? Which, by the way, His perfect will in your life might actually mean sickness or poverty, or battles. What was God's perfect will in John's life? John, who was imprisoned and lost his head. What was God's perfect will in his life? Obedience. 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 To his own hurt. To his own suffering. To be found obedient to the call of God in our lives. That's God's call for every one of us. And that's God's will in every one of our lives. And where that particular thing leads each one of us, each one of us, like I said last week, we're on journey. Your journey isn't my journey. My journey isn't yours. They're different. What did you come to see? Do you come for entertainment and amusement without truth and without conviction of the soul? Oh, that we would come to see Jesus. That we would come to see Jesus high and lifted up. That we would come to see Jesus enthroned in glory and seated on the throne of our own hearts. But in order to have Him enthroned upon our hearts, the present monarch has to die. The one that's seated there now must die for Christ to take that position. You see, he's not one who will come and push you off. It never ceases to amaze me. 
that God will let me do all the foolishness I want to do and end up paying the consequences of that foolishness. And all the while, he's there ready to take control if I would step off the throne and allow him to be there. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to theopenword.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word podcast at theopenword.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that The Open Word is a missionary work? It is. We need your support as we share God's Word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the support option in the main menu. We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.